Father, we can understand the words of that song so well. Because <laughs> all of us are sometimes kind of prone to wonder. We know it is who it is that you've called us to be. You know, we know where you've called us to walk. And yet sometimes just our own nature, a temptation pulls us off. Before we know it, God, we're in a direction and in a place where you don't want us to be and you've never called us to walk. Father, we just praise you and thank you today that you're a God of mercy, a God of love, and a God of grace. That even in the moments, Lord, where we wonder, you pursue us. Even in those moments that we get ourselves lost, you come and you seek us out. You put us on your shoulders, you carry us home. And you celebrate the fact that we are now once again safe with you. Father, we just thank you for being such an awesome Father, for loving us and giving us a place to be a part of a kingdom that we don't deserve to be a part of. And Father, I just pray today that as we open your word, that you might open our hearts to what it is that you have to say to us. Help us, Lord, just to recognize that in this life there's so many places we can focus and so many places we can go, but there's a lot fewer things that really bring us into the relationship with you that you desire. Just pray, Lord, that you might open our hearts as we open your word today. You might guide us and lead us. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you have had a great morning so far, and uh, we are smack dab in the middle of our extended summer. So uh, we got a lot of people out on vacation. Good to have you guys with us. I know a few of you guys were gone this past week and you're back and we're glad. One of my favorite American authors and kind of poets is a guy named Mark Twain. And probably most of you guys know Mark Twain, right? Because of the adventures of Huckleberry Finn or something like that. He was a great writer um, of children's books and, and of adventure stories. But he was also just a great American writer. And uh, and, and Mark Twain was a philosophical kind of guy. He, he liked to stop and think about life a lot more than probably people realize and give him credit for. And there's a quote that, uh, that, he, that, he, that is accredited to him that I really enjoy, and I thought I would share it with you this morning. He wrote this. He said, What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself all day long the mill of his brain is grinding in his thoughts not those other things are his real history Mark Twain realized something that, that probably we know but we don't stop to think about sometimes and that is that the thing that really defines us is not so much the things that we say or the things that we do Certainly they do define us, but there's something before that. Before we ever say a word, before we ever do something, our minds are thinking. Our hearts are considering. We're putting together and formulating our theory of life and our plan for the future. And it's really that thinking that defines who we are in the end. This summer we've been going through the book of Philippians and as you guys know we, we've been taking a look at, at, at Paul's very practical advice of what it looks like to be a, to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian and, and he gives us a lot of really practical things and as the book of or the chapter 3 kind of draws the letter to the Philippian church to a close, 
we, we get a sense that the Apostle Paul is kind of moving to a conclusion, and it kind of looks random. But I, I want you to know there's something very real that the Apostle Paul is doing here as he pulls this together. Certainly he's talking about a variety of subjects, and certainly he's kind of pulling some from here and some from here and putting that together. But in reality, the Apostle Paul is kind of creating a logical kind of construct that pulls the end of this book into conclusion. You might remember at the last, latter parts of chapter 3, he reminds us that we are citizens of a great nation, the kingdom of heaven, right? And he talks about that, 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 we, that we belong someplace even greater than here. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how that our citizenship, although we are American citizens, most of us, our true citizenship belongs with heaven, in heaven with God and how empowering that is and how amazing it is. And it's one of those things that we don't necessarily even fully appreciate um, until maybe we step back and consider it. Most of us were born as Americans and we're born in a United States system where there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of opportunity that's afforded us. And, and, and a lot of us don't realize just how awesome that is um, until you leave this country. If you leave the country, you might quickly realize, uh, even though America and the United States isn't as free as it once was, the freedoms that we enjoy are still far and above what most nations get to enjoy. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that because sometimes as Christians, especially those of us who maybe grew up in church and are multi-generational Christian families, we might not realize just how blessed we are to be a part of God's family. It might just be something, oh, I've always been a part of a, Christ, of a Christian family, and we don't realize that that's a great gift. But then Paul does something special because he says, because you have this citizenship, because you're a part of this great nation, you need to act a certain way. He talked to two friends who were kind of having a disagreement. He said, look, I know you guys, I love you guys, you have been faithful partners with me in ministry, you're great people, but you need to work this out. And, and if you're a part of that greater community around these people, you need to help them work it out because that's the way Christians act. That's what we do. And he, he spends a good bit of time talking about because you are a part of the kingdom of heaven, you act this certain way, you do these certain things, and then he says, and you think a certain way. Because the Apostle Paul realizes that if we want to change behavior, we first got to change how we think about life, right? We got to change our mind space. And we, we talked about that a few months ago. So this morning, we're going to jump into Philippians, um, the, the fourth chapter. And I just want to set this up with a passage of scripture from Mark, the seventh chapter, picking up in verse 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip with me to, to Philippians. I'm just going to read Mark to set this up. This is Jesus here, and he says this. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, or from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is, Jesus is just making a point here. He's saying, that the things that are going on in our heart, in our mind, are, are, are the things that eventually come out in our behavior. And, and Jesus was interested in us changing the way we think, so subsequently our behavior changes. Sometimes, sometimes governments and even churches are interested in our behavior changing without our minds changing. And Jesus realized that that's never for long. Until we change the way we think, 
we're not going to be changed. And so let, let's read Philippians, the fourth chapter, and verse eight together, because what Paul does here, if Jesus, if Jesus lays out all the great sins of mankind there in Mark, um, Paul lays out all the great truths of Scripture in kind of one unending sentence in Philippians 4, picking up in verse number eight. And so he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He goes through a lot of whatevers right there. Um, But he is laying out some of the best parts of what Scripture has for us. Some of the biggest and deepest truths that God is trying to impart to his children. And so let's just take a moment this morning and kind of run through these. Sometimes we just read through that list and then we jump to another part of that text. But, but look at the things that are on this list. He starts off and he says, whatever is true. Now, now Jesus backed this up, in, in, or backing up into the Gospels. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So the opposite of that is, is those things that God brings into the world. And, Jesus, and Paul's saying, the things that are true in this world are the things that we're called to focus on. Since, since, the, uh, since the beginning of time, we are fallen creatures in many, many ways. And, and we tend to be attracted to the things that are dishonest. And in fact, a lot of people are scared of things that are true. And, and, and we're called here in this passage to be people that champion truth, that... that, that like and love truth. And, and truth is hard sometimes. I, I remember uh, when my, my father had a stroke, uh, I kind of had a chance to rush up to Iowa to be with my mom, and my mom and I are sitting in the room. They really hadn't talked to my mom much about my dad's condition until I got there. They didn't know my mother. And, uh, and so we're sitting in the room, and, and, and the doctor comes in, and the neurologist is being very, very kind, and he's kind of talking about my dad's condition, and kind of talking about this, and kind of talking about that. And finally, my mom just said, look, I, I know what you're doing, and I appreciate what you're doing. I understand that you're trying to break this to us, but we know there's something very wrong. Tell me the plain truth. What is going on with, with, with Larry? And the doctor said, well, he just had a massive brain bleed. Half of his brain is non-responsive. It's soaked in blood. We have no idea how much of any function he'll ever regain again. And, 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 and if a lot of people would have been overwhelmed with that, but my mom wanted to know that because now we know, now we know how to proceed in the future, right? We understand where we are. The Bible talks about walking in truth like walking in the light. And bad things happen when you walk in the darkness. <laughs> um, we have a good friend that, that was walking through the house in the darkness to try to get a drink and hooked his toe on a chair, ended up taking a bad spill and broke several bones. That, that is kind of the reality. In, in our bedroom at home, we have this, this, this loom. And it's my fault. Um, I, it was one of my, my grandfather's looms, and, and you can make some cool stuff with it. What I use it for is to hang my clothes on when I go to bed at night, all right? So it's this great big thing right here, and it's right by, and Michelle, she doesn't like it, but she doesn't say anything because it's on my way to bed, right? She has a clear and unobstructed path to the, to, the, um, to the bathroom. I have this kind of winding path around this loom. And I cannot tell you how many times I've either busted my toe on the loom or busted my toe on the bench trying to stay away from the loom. And, uh, and if only there was light, it wouldn't be a problem, right? When we walk in the darkness, we are likely to injure ourselves. Maybe, maybe not permanently, or maybe we'll do significant damage. And so 
Paul starts off this list in a very interesting place. He said, whatever is true. If it's true, then it's something that we can celebrate. We may not like it, but it's, it's, it's a good thing for us to invest in and to look into. He goes on to say, not just things that are truthful, but whatever is honorable. And I want you to think about the things that are on this list here really quickly with me. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable. If something is honorable, the word simply means in, in the original language, inspires reverence and awe. And there, there's things that do that, right? Um, there, there's moments in life where you look back and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, for me, and I'm an outside person, so for me, getting out into the, into the out of doors. And I've had a chance this year to be up at Toledo Bend a couple different weeks at different times and, and to get to see a sunset over a lake or out on the ocean. That is absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Just to get to see the colors and, and the beauty of that. Uh, if you get to travel a little bit, maybe this summer, you go into places like the Grand Canyon. I'll, I'll never forget the first time we got to the Grand Canyon at night, really, um, the biggest part of the Grand Canyon. And uh, even in the night, we pulled over to the side of the road in one of these little pull-throughs, and it's a, it was a full moon. And so you're looking out, and even in the darkness, you could just, um, you could just see the massiveness of this canyon. You could see the intensity of the landscape. It was unbelievable, and it certainly was even more amazing the next day when we saw it in the light of, of, the, of the daytime. In things in life, and there's a lot of these things that are honorable, they just inspire reverence and awe. We look at them and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Sometimes it's little things. The first time you, you hold a newborn baby and you look at that and it's, it's just so perfect and so precious and so complete. There's just this overwhelming sense of awe and reverence for the one who created it, for God's plan and design and purpose. And sometimes people look at that and they think, oh, it's not very grand. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, the second chapter in verse number two, and he wrote him this, and he, it was kind of the shape of a Christian life. He said, all Christians should lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul is just telling Timothy, Timothy, when you live that peaceful, that tranquil, that quiet life, and you're living godly in a godly sort of way, there's no, there's no shame in that. In fact, it's, it's a dignified way of living. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to live that way. It's so counteractive or counterintuitive to the culture that we live in today, where it seems like if you want to be successful, you've got to be that person that everyone's paying attention to and that everyone knows and that that is the pinnacle of success. And Paul said, eh, not really. Maybe the most successful Christian life is simply a Christian life simply lived with honor and with dignity. Paul goes on in, in that list of things. He said to think about truth and to think about things that are honorable. And then he says to think about things that are just good old-fashioned right. Some of your Bibles might use the word just. It means it's just the way that things are supposed to be. Sometimes we don't celebrate a lot of these things culturally today. But when the world is just Right. You ever have one of those days where you just walk out and you look around or you come home and the family's all there or whatever the case might be for you and you just look out and you're like, this is the way it should be. Things are right in this moment. So often we as humans don't celebrate those moments. We, we tend to become obsessed when things aren't the way we want them to be. But, but Paul said, I, I'm readjusting your thinking here. I want you to think about when things are right. And the kinds of things that are righteous in this world. 
John writes this really kind of just plain and powerful passage in 1 John, the third chapter. John is an older man at this point in time, and so he's writing to the church, and he's using language that an older man might write to a younger church. And so he says, little children. Not that he's writing to little children, but in the faith, most of the people he was writing to were like little children. And he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Don't be fooled by this. And then he gives one of the most just honest and practical and sensible approaches to living in life that you, we've ever run into. He said, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he's not, if, you, if you're reading along with me there, you see that the he there is to capitalize because John is talking about Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, the one who practices or lives right is right just as he is right. And it's not because we're perfect people. We understand that. It's because he came and paid the price that we might be clothed in righteousness, that we might have this opportunity to live to a higher level. We've been given citizenship in this kingdom that we call the kingdom of heaven. So he says, hey, if, if, if you're practicing righteousness, you are righteous just like he is righteous because we're covered in his righteousness. But then John continues and he says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. So John here is just being really, really honest. And sometimes, I don't know, how, how many of you like people that are just like straight shooters? You like that? You like somebody just to come straight at you? If you like that, this is John right here. He's old man and he's no nonsense right here. He's saying, hey, if you're, if you're trying to live right, if you're living in righteousness, then you're righteous because he is righteous. But if you are practicing or living in, that's what that word typically, typically means there. If you're intentionally living in sin, you're of the devil. He wasn't equivocating right here. He was just being completely honest. Paul is telling us to think about those kinds of things that lead us to live right. We have that choice, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But every day we are inundated by influences. Which of these influences fit the category of things that Paul is talking about here. So think about, I'll, I'll plant that seed in your heart this morning as we're rolling through this. Think about everything that comes through your life every day. Think about the kinds of things that you check out on media, the kinds of things you're watching on TV, the kinds of things that you're listening to, the kinds of podcasts you're entertaining, whatever it might be. All the influences in your life, are they true? Are they honorable? Are they right? And are they pure? Paul continues and says, whatsoever things are pure. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Paul here also is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, he says, but, but do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And I, I just got to stop there and think, wouldn't this be amazing? Wouldn't it be awesome if when people talked about Christian people, they had to lie? because their character was in such a place that really there was nothing bad that people could say about Christian people. Because that's exactly what Paul is challenging the church in Ephesus to do. And if you know anything about Ephesus at that time, this is not a very nice place to live. This is a very hedonistic sort of place, a very worldly, very sinful place. But he's saying, don't even let immorality or impurity or greed be named among you. I don't even want to hear that it's happening among your people. And then he says, as is proper for the saints. In other words, this is the way it should be. So often in church, we, 
we, we, we hear about scandal, don't we? We hear about people who are living hypocritical kinds of lives. So they come to church and they're looking righteous on this hand, but then they leave church and they do a whole different set of things. They talk a certain way in church. They talk another way outside of church. And, and, and Paul is saying, guys, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're not to be the people where these kinds of things are even named among us. That we live at such a caliber and such a level that people don't even talk in those terms about us. And then Paul goes to apply this text. Now I want you to notice this. So we're comfortable with where Paul is here. He says, hey, I don't want even people to talk about the church and think that people are struggling with sin in a lifestyle sort of way. Obviously, we all struggle with sin. But then Paul says, I'm going to apply this. I want you to know how to use this in your life. Notice where he goes to. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Think about that for just a moment, guys. He says, okay, I I don't even want anyone talking badly about you. Let's talk about your speech. Let's talk about the same things that you're saying. There, 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 there must not be any filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. Crude jokes is what that means. It's kind of an old way of saying crude joking. Which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but every time I read this passage of Scripture, it's one of those things that kind of just cracks me right between the eyes. Because so much of what we say I wonder if we would really say those things or at least say them in the same way if we were in the same room or at the same table with Jesus Christ. Probably most of the time we wouldn't. But it's just so easy for some of those things to kind of slip in. And and guys, Paul is a real person. He's a real individual. He lived life. He struggles just as we struggle. And so he knows where the tendencies are for us to get in trouble. Yeah, we're trying to be pure people. Paul said, you better watch how you're talking. You better watch the kinds of communication because it's real easy for us to get a little dirty in how we're talking. It's really easy for us to just make everything a joke. That's my problem in life. I want to make everything funny. I just want to laugh. Why worry when you can laugh, right? Um, and, uh, and, And yet, not everything in life is a joke and sometimes we need to take it seriously. Coarse jesting, crude jokes. He said that's not the way it's supposed to be and rather we should be giving thanks. So, This is Paul's formula, not mine. But every time that you're tempted to to say something that's not what you should be saying, every time you're tempted to talk in a way that you know you probably shouldn't talk, Paul's suggestion here is just give thanks to God. That will probably cure it, incidentally. People will think you're nuts. but, um, But it will fix the biggest problem. And he says this, for you know with certainty... And, and this is a funny thing on, on, on the Bible writers. He said, you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Every one of the Bible writers is really, really just to the point about these things. If you don't want to live for God, that's fine, but know the choice you're making. You can either live for God or you can live for sin. You can either live for God or you can live for the devil. Understand that. Paul says, hey, I want you to think about living for God. I want you to think about those kinds of things that's going to push you forward in your walk with God. Truth, good things, holy things, righteous things. And then he he finishes up with a couple things. He says lovely things. Now, 
this is kind of a nerdy thing, but this word only shows up one time in the New Testament, and it's here. <laughs> this is not a really common word in the Greek, and it simply means what's pleasing, agreeable, and attractive. So Paul is saying you only have so much headspace, you only have so much capacity in your life, so think about things that are lovely because the world is full of lovely things, right? So often I'm a kind of a negative and human beings are negatively biased and we're not going to get off that subject today. But we tend to look for the bad things in life. We tend to find them. And part of that is, is it helps us stay alive, which is a handy thing. But, but we have all kinds of beautiful things that are happening around us every day. We don't even stop to notice them. Become a person that celebrates the lovely parts of life. You know, it's so easy for me to go and throw a rant on social media when somebody's rude to a cashier or someone cuts me off in traffic or a product isn't what I thought it should be. It's really easy for me to get on the phone and say, right? right? But, but think about all the good things that happen to you in a given day. A while ago, I, I went to a, a local restaurant here in town, pulled up to the window. This is drive-through, you know, and... Uh, I'd forgotten my wallet. Now, this is embarrassing, right? Because once you, I ordered my food, I pull up to the window, and a guy's like, and I'm like, I don't have any way to pay you. I, I felt this like an absolute moron. And, and he's like, hold on a second. And he goes inside, and one of the people that, that, that was in the restaurant looked out. She does something on the machine. He hands me my food, said, don't worry about it. We don't celebrate those moments. I get mad when I get my order wrong at the place the next time I go, right? And Paul said, you need to refocus the the things that you're concerned about. Focus on the lovely things in life. There's good things happening to us all the time in the world. Celebrate those things. The last thing he mentions in the whatever are section is those things that have a good report. Those things where people look at and say, hey, that's a good deal. You remember when the 12 spies went into the land of Canaan? We have a little song about it. We sing it a lot, right? Ten were bad and two were good. And what did they see in this? Anyway, I won't sing you the song, but you guys know it. So they went into this land and they go and they they observe everything that's in there. And and this is a land of promise. This is a place that they've been looking forward to. And so they see that it is an absolutely spectacular place. I mean, it grows stuff so well that they have... They have grapes that are such enormous clumps that they have to get a pole and two guys carry back this enormous bunch of grapes to show the people just how fertile this land is. It, there's not, no place like it. It is absolutely the breadbasket of that part of the world and still is in many ways, even to this day. And so here they are. They come back over the, over the river and, and everyone clamors around and they say, hey, what was it like over there? What was, it, was it as good as God said it was? Was it really this land that just flowing with all the goodness of life? And they're like, it's awesome. It was amazing. But, but there's giant walled cities and great big guys with sharp spears and they're gonna, and we can't take it. We might as well just die here in the wilderness. Ten of them said. And two of them said, we can do it because we have God on our side. And you, you know the story. You know that, that most of the people followed the ten guys that freaked out. In fact, they tried to kill the two guys that said, I'll be all right. We've got this. And the other two guys, Moses and Aaron. But a generation later, they would walk across that river. A generation later, their kids would march seven times around the city, which seems to be absolutely useless. And on the seventh time that they walked around that city, God just knocked the walls down of those big, big fortresses. 
And they would roll from town to town to town with victory after victory after victory after victory and they would conquer this whole nation just as God said they would. But they all decided they needed to have a freak out in the wilderness. Paul said that what you focus on is important. What you think about is important. If it's a good report, focus on those things. And then he finishes up with a couple little things that I think in a way he just like, if I missed anything, let me cover it with this. He said, if anything is a virtue, if anything has value, and, and, and that's a specific kind of value, right? Virtue is not just, you know, like value here today and gone tomorrow, but something has long-lasting value. If anything is worthy of praise, he says, think on these things. We're going to spend the last, next few moments, the last few moments of our time together to talk about what it means to think about those good things. Because it's really easy for us, as you guys and I know, for us to have our mind to be cluttered with all kinds of garbage and all kinds of stuff and not really focus on the kinds of things that God says, I want you to focus on. You, as you read through that list with me, and if you have your Bibles open, you could read through it. How much of your daily diet of stuff that influences you falls into those categories? And how much of that daily influence actually falls into the opposite categories? How much of what we listen to every day is simply lies? How much of the stuff we, simply li we listen to every day is sinful? It is, is based on an errant truth or errant truths. How much of what we look at every day drags us down rather than builds us up? How much of what we focus on every day is really negative stuff and not positive things? Paul said, think on these things. Proverbs, the fourth chapter in verse 23 is a great passage and you guys have heard it a million times before, but let me just read it as we set the groundwork for what we're talking about. He said, watch over your heart with all diligence. In other words, be very, very careful about your heart. For from it flows the spring of life. Just let me put that in context for us this morning. All of us here today have a very precious thing. I would argue that probably the most precious possession that you have is your heart. It's your soul. It's that thing that makes you, you. You can describe it in however and whatever terms you want, but we all know what it is. It's that thing that creates our personality. It's that thing that when we get up in the morning, it's that lens with which we view the world, right? That's, that's our heart. And the writer in Proverbs, Solomon says, guard that. Because it is the most precious thing that you have. I don't know how many of you guys have a precious possession that you really, really love. Um, I, have a, I have a family member that, that has a particular car that he absolutely loves, and it's, it's a very valuable possession. And he never takes it to a lot of places. He's not going to drive this car to, to Walmart. In fact, when he drives that car, um, it, it's be, he, he, he rearranges everything about his day because he's driving this vehicle. All right? So he's going to park in a certain kind of parking spot, 50,000 miles from the store, right? And inevitably, it's just funny to me, but inevitably someone else decides to park right by him, right? Which drives him crazy. I think they're just thinking that guy's not going to dent my door. I don't know. But, but he parks far from the door and he won't go to certain places. He's not going to drive in certain kinds of weather because, well, because he's guarding that precious possession. But sometimes, guys, the most precious thing we have, our heart, our soul, the lens that we view the world with, we just kind of throw out there and just let anything hit it. 
Even in the hearts of our children sometimes, we just say, oh, just go experience the world. And guys, I just want you to know that is not a biblical concept. We need to learn to guard our hearts. There's a guy by the name of Frank Outlaw, and I joked in the morning in an earlier session, I, I wish I had a cool name like Frank Outlaw, you know? There was a race car driver when I was a kid growing up. His name was Doug Wolfgang. All right, that's intimidating. Jason Quarter intimidates no one, all right? Um, but this guy, Frank Outlaw right here, wrote something, and it's actually a great, it's a great quote. He said, watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. If you notice his quote, he's just kind of laying out everything that the Bible already tells us. But he starts off and he says, watch your thoughts, because they are the start of the process. Watch your heart, because from it, everything else flows out of it. And so there's three things that I think, and we're going to finish up with these this morning, three things that I think we need to do to be successful in thinking about the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here in Philippians 4.8. The first one is simply this. We need to learn to think like Jesus, to think like Christ. You know, I, I know that that's a big, big statement. Some of us are thinking, wait a second, he's the sinless son of God and you want me to think like him. But that's exactly what the New Testament taught from front cover to back cover. So, so often in our world today, we, we, we want people to think like us. And so in religion, for instance, there's a ton of different brands of religion, aren't there? And, and there's, there's, there's I, I can't even keep track because there's subgroups of big brands of religion and it just gets to be a nightmare in a real quick hurry and it's confusing to everybody. But, but, the Bible never says it, and culturally today we say, well, if you're, if you're religion X, then you need to think about like X, or if you're re religion Y, you need to think like Y, or if you're religion Z, you need to think like the Zs do, because you are an X, Y, or Z. But the Bible never says that. The Bible says, I want you to be a person who thinks like Christ. Paul put it probably the most, the most clearly when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ to the best of my ability. You follow me. But ultimately, we're both following who? We're both following Jesus. We're not following a particular brand or a particular philosophical viewpoint. We're following Christ. And I think one of the most important things that we can do individually is to begin to cultivate a mind that thinks like Jesus. So when we run across certain things in life, there's certain attitudes that Jason just naturally has, right? Um, for instance, if you, if you cut me off in traffic, my real my initial instinct is to get on the horn, right? Why? Because it's fun and because you cut me off and that wasn't very nice. So, bah, bah, you know, I'm going to let you know about that. But, but slowly or rapidly would be preferable. We need to start thinking about things from a different perspective. You're driving along in your car. Someone yanks out right in front of you and drives 30 miles an hour and you want to throw things out them, at them out the window. The real question would be, what would Jesus do in this case? Right? And I know that became a cliche movement and we had little bracelets and t-shirts and it's, everyone's so over that, but that concept, guys, it's a shame that it's cliche because that concept is really, really important. What would Jesus do where I am right now? Let me ask you this. If Jesus came over and hung out with you for a week, how much of how you live your life would change in that week? You ever go stay at somebody's house for a while? 
for a few days, maybe Christmas holidays, we, we always do this at family, and, and you get home, and, and you're, you're so comfortable. You say, you, we say, well, I can sleep in my own bed, but what you really mean is I can go back and do my own routines, right? Because when you're in somebody else's house, you kind of conform to their routines, and it's kind of a strain for us. What would you do if Jesus came over and said, hey, I'm just going to hang out for, with you for a week? And, and of course, you'd be good with that, right? Because it's Jesus. You would have to say, yes, yes, you're welcome to come in my house for a week. How much of your life would change in that week? Guys, if we're living our life the way we should be, nothing would change. Truth is, is he's always with us. His spirit is always in us. He's a part of every decision, every word spoken, every action taken. He is right there. We just don't notice it sometimes. Paul writes this in Romans 8. And Romans 8 is a fantastic chapter in the Bible. Um, it comes right after Romans 7 where Paul admits that he has physical weaknesses and spiritual weaknesses and we'll talk about that as we close. And then in Romans 8.1 it says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? We read that and sometimes we just stop there. But Paul builds on that as he goes through Romans 8. And down in verse number 7 he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed it really can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He just said, you know what? When we're thinking with our flesh mind, when we're thinking about what makes me feel good mind, it's really hard to do what God calls us to do because sometimes the things that God calls me to do require me to be selfless. Sometimes the thing that God calls me to do requires me to put others ahead of myself or to, or to take some offense and not hand it back out again. But then he goes on, he says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. The same idea that he's talking to the Philippian church using a little bit different language, but that same idea, you're not that anymore, you're now this, you're better than this. You're not just in the flesh anymore, but you're in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul says we're not in this alone. We have help. We have the spirit to kind of guide us and to lead us and we need to be careful that we are listening to where the Spirit's guiding us. And there's certain times in life where we're in a situation and there's something deep inside that's telling us you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't behave in that way. And typically in that moment, my urge is to justify it and say, well, I have a right to, or I can, or they did this to me. And when we do that, we're just kind of pushing the Spirit out of our life. Paul said, no, you have the Spirit for a reason. He's there to change you. Allow Him to do His work. There's nothing more frustrating than knowing how to fix something, right? Someone says, hey, come over and help me fix this. And you come over knowing how to fix it, then they won't let you fix it. You ever been there before? Yeah, right. And eventually the spirit just gets to a place where the spirit's like, that's it, you don't want me to help you? I'll move on. God is a gentleman, but he would much prefer to allow, to, for you to allow him to transform the way you think and act to look like his son, Jesus. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to think like Christ. The second thing that we need to do if we're going to think on these things is we've got to clear out the garbage. We've got to clear out the clutter that's a part of our life. We can't really have a pure thought life until we've prepared ourselves to have that pure thought life. Remember I asked you a few moments ago to think as we went through that list of things that Paul mentions to think about that list of six plus two there at the bottom. I'm, I ask you to think how much of my daily influences really fall in line with the kinds of things that Paul is talking about right here. How much of everyday life is based on truth and on purity and on things that are noble and trustworthy? 
things that have a good report. Imagine, imagine you're going on vacation. How many of you got to go on vacation this year? A few of you guys, all right. Some of us, some of us got to go to the mountains and other places. Um, some of us are on vacation right now. This is kind of a week where everyone's trying to sneak out before school starts, if school starts. Every time you go on vacation, you, you bring some kind of, might not look like this suitcase, but you bring along some kind of a suitcase, right? And uh, this one here has seen its better days. It's been all around the world and it's kind of beat to death. Um, but uh, hopefully your suitcase looks a little bit better than mine. But, uh, but you bring a suitcase and, and you, you decide the kind kinds of things that you're going to pack in this suitcase. Now, now the problem is some of you guys probably have much bigger suitcases, right? Like three times the size because there's a lot of things that you want to bring. But no matter if you have a great big suitcase or a great big trunk or a small suitcase, there's, there's some constraints on how much stuff you can bring along. You can only have a couple check-ins or, or check-in, whatever they call them, check bags in the airport. You can only put one in the overhead bin. You only have so much trunk space in your car. You can't bring everything with you. Now, you may love bowling, or you might love soccer, but you're probably not going to bring your bowling ball along with you on vacation unless you're going to go to a bowling tournament because there's just not the space for it. I want you to know this morning that we all have a limitation mentally as well. Guys, we have only so much space in our hearts, only so much emotional availability. Now some of us uh, have a lot of emotional availability. Some of us are just super smart people and we can have a lot of, we can pack in a lot of information. Some of you guys' information part of your brain is gigantic, right? You know facts and, and ideas and you can do all kinds of things. Some of you are in college right now and you're just learning, 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 packing that thing full. I have a very small capacity for learning. Um, so uh, I, I have to keep it small. But all of us also, not just do we have an intellectual capability to our brain, but we also have an emotional and we can only hold so much information and then we run out of space. One of my greatest concerns as a preacher in the world we live in today is that we have been distracted by Satan in the most ingenious way. I was looking at a study this past week from what well, started in several, several years ago. It's a guy by the name of George Barna. You guys might not like studies and research. I don't necessarily, but sometimes it kind of helps us to know what's going on in the world. In 2009, George Barna did a survey in November and December of, of Americans, and he asked them a bunch of spiritual questions. And, and one of the questions he asked is, how many of you would identify yourselves as a practicing Christian? And at that time, in 2009, which for some of you that seems like a long time ago, and for some of us that seems like yesterday, about 52 to 53% of Americans said that they identified as practicing Christians. So a few weeks ago, I got last year's surveys. You know, it takes a while, but they, he conducted them in November and December of 2019, before the whole pandemic, before the whole chaos that we've been living through for the last six months. And, and he asked the same questions. Every time, the same questions, same polling data, same kind of group of people. And here, the number came back and looked very different. Because when the American population were asked, how many of you identify today as a practicing Christian, the number had gone from 51 or 52% to 20 let me just put that into context for you in the last 10 years we have lost half of the professing Christians in the United States of America 10 years ago 
Half of the population said, we are professing and living Christians. Today, only a quarter, less than a quarter of the population of our country claims to be a practicing Christian. And I don't know all the reasons for that, but I have an idea that one of the biggest reasons for that is that we are simply distracted from those things that are important. Guys, we only have so much space in our emotional ability. And when that's full, it's full. And just like when we go practice or when we go travel, you have to figure out the things that you're going to keep and the things you're going to leave home. Every single day, we've got to do the same thing with all of the influences and all of the information that's inundating our lives. And a lot of us have let a lot of clutter in. Ten years ago, it's funny, but ten years ago, Facebook was kind of a fledgling company. They were looking at a, an initial IPO, which is when you go, to, go public with your company and you offer it. And all the people that were helping them build the strategy said, look, the problem with your company, you have a great idea. Zuckerberg and crew, they, look, you guys have a great idea. You have, a, you have a, probably one of the best platforms for this idea that's out here. The problem is you can't really generate a lot of money from this. And so they sat down and they tried to figure out what can we do to generate more money? At that time, at that time, up until that time, mostly Facebook was a computer, a PC kind of program, a, a screen time program. And they said, let's take it mobile. And so they took it mobile and they added something else that's absolutely genius. We don't necessarily even notice it because especially for some of you guys that grew up in that generation, you guys just take for granted. But this was not a part of the original social media platform. In fact, when Bill Gates, Bill Gates, listen to me, when, when Steve Jobs announces the iPhone, it's not until 30 minutes into that speech that he actually talks about the iPhone having the ability to get online and check email. He just wanted it to be the best phone and the best iPod that had ever been out there. And he's like, these are two products people love. Let's marry them together. We will have an amazing product. And the engineers are like, hey, we can throw a version of Safari on there. That sounds cool in case someone might want to look something up. And hey, we can check email. That's good. But it wasn't a priority, guys. I, I don't want you to understand. I, I know I'm an old man, right? I like, lived a long time ago. And some of you guys are back there with me, right? This wasn't the way the world always was. And then, and then Facebook's like, how are we going to generate more money? And one of them, who was actually a social scientist, said, I think we've got this figured out. You guys probably know all this stuff, but let me tell you that one of the biggest employers of social science, people, the most best and the brightest in the world today, are social media companies and search engines. One of them said, you know what we could add? Let's add a like button. Social media didn't always have a like button. And if you think about it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, except that, <laughs> except that we've all become very, very used to it. That simple little like button has made Facebook billions. In fact, a few years ago, they spent multiple billions, with a B, dollars, developing the software to do face recognition so that when you post a picture, and it's like, who, I don't know, me and Miss Peggy, you know, we're on top of a mountain right here. It's me and Miss Peggy, and I post that up. It would say, hey, we recognize Peggy. Would you like to tag her in a post? That cost billions of dollars to figure out. You guys know why? Because it created something that we want. Today, most of us are kind of owned by social media, aren't we? Or regular media. You might not realize it, but so much of what we do every single day is with that device or on a screen. Maybe you don't believe me. I have a challenge for you. You don't think it's a problem for you. 
then this shouldn't be a hard challenge. Take a week and fast from all media and social media. Take a week and just don't go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. Take a week and just detox from Fox News and from ABC and from NBC and PBS and CNN and whatever else. Just take a week. Believe me, guys, there's no one in this room this morning that's so important that if we don't know what's going on, the world's going to fall apart, all right? We're not that important. Just take a week and just don't, don't allow that influence to come into your life. Because here's the problem. When we're addicted to something, and I know you're thinking, I'm not addicted to it this morning. I know, but every addict that I've ever worked with in my life always says, I don't have a problem. A few years ago, I did this. Someone said this in a conference. And I, I know how some of you probably feel right now because you're probably thinking, nah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. I thought the same thing. And we're getting back and we're eating dinner together and one of my other buddies said, I think I'm going to do that. And I said, I think it's stupid. You know how you are with your friends. He's like, well, why do you think it's stupid? I said, I don't have that much control over my life. He said, well, then do it. All right, fine. I'll do it. I'll prove to you that it's not a problem for me. What I proved to myself was is that what I was doing when I'm getting ready to pack for my spiritual trip is I'm leaving behind everything that's going to actually help me get there. I'm going downstairs underneath the sink where we keep our garbage. And the thing that I'm taking along with me on my spiritual journey is the trash that's underneath that sink. I'm just picking up that trash bag. I'm dumping all, all the things that I would want on my vacation and I'm shoving a trash bag in there and I'm toting that out the door and I'm saying, all right, I'm ready to go have a great time and all I have is nothing but a bunch of garbage. You think about it, guys. Be honest with yourself. How much in a given day that you get from media really does anything for you? I know some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, but, 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 it's engineered for you to think that way. These people are very, very slick. They know how to pull us all in. Some of us are watching the service this morning on Facebook, all right? Let me tell you, Facebook's not just showing a, a, a web streaming service for fun. No, they make money from that. They're getting information from us. It is intentionally designed to pull us in. Maybe we need to get rid of some clutter. And that'll give us space to do something that maybe we thought we should do for a very long time. In that same survey where people are asked, are you still a professing Christian? Another question is asked is, what's the biggest concern about your spiritual walk? And almost every individual, a vast majority of them said, my greatest concern personally in my life is that I don't have enough of a, a strong enough relationship with God. I don't have a big enough prayer life. I, I, I don't study the word of God like I should. Guys, maybe the most important thing we can do is to study God's perspective of the world. Because while we're down here with our heads in the dirt doing what we do, God is up here. And he doesn't just see the world through a lens of the 21st century. He doesn't just have 30 or 40 or 50 or some of your cases 10 or 12 or 15 or 18 years of experience. He has millennia of experience watching human behavior. Not only that, but he knows us better than we know ourselves because he created us. 
He knows our needs and our desires better than the social engine uh, and the, and the, and the uh, social uh, interaction groups because, because he desired and he wired our brains to want approval and, and, and to want people to love us and to want, a people, want to have relationships with people. He understands us. And he also knows what really makes us happy. And this book that we call the Bible is not a book that's just here to make our lives miserable and to keep us away from things that are going to provide us with real joy. That's what Satan always lies about, right? In the garden, he says, oh, God gave you a commandment not to touch this tree or to eat of this tree. He's just holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be happy. And the truth is, is that when Adam and Eve took the fruit of that tree, they unleashed all kinds of hell into The Bible is a book that just simply written to us from a loving father to say, hey, you want to know how to be happy in this life? You want to live successfully in this life and make it to the one that I really want you to live in where you're with me for all of eternity? Here it is. And Paul, as he's closing a letter to great friends, says, hey, there's a lot of things that you can put in in that suitcase to prepare for this spiritual journey. But I know the things that are important. I know the things that are actually going to help you get there. We're going to close with this passage. It's in Romans, the seventh chapter. It's just so honest that I thought I would share it with you. He says, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. Paul says, hey, I I love to be a Christian. Up here, I I really want to do this. But there's something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and it wins the fight and it makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. I love that because it's just so honest. Here's Paul and he says, I struggle. There's a lady that came in the news media a few years ago. They, They called her Garbage Mary. She lived in a tenant in Chicago. It was absolutely filthy. And every day she would get up and she would put on her ragged clothes and she would go and she would dig through the neighborhood dumpsters for food and for clothing to wear. Eventually one day her behavior became so erratic that she was picked up by the police and she was taken in to an insane asylum and the police went to her address to make sure that there was nothing that needed to be tended to there. As they walked into her absolutely squalor apartment in this awful tenement building, they were blown away by what they found there. An apartment in the freezer and in the refrigerator, or the freezer of the refrigerator. She had wads and wads of money. Piled on the counters and on the coffee tables and by the bedside stands were were the deeds to to stocks and bonds and and securities that, that were in the millions of dollars. Her father was a very wealthy and very well-off lawyer in Chicago, and he had left her set up incredibly well. But every day, she wandered the streets, digging through dumpsters and wearing worn-out and discarded clothing. And we look at Garbage Mary, and we're like, there's something wrong with that woman. (laughs) Yeah, there was. We look at her and say, she was nuts, and she was. But sometimes I'm a little bit like Garbage Mary. Because my heavenly father has given me everything that I could ever need to have true happiness and purpose and meaning in life. But I would rather go underneath the kitchen sink and get the trash bag 
and bring that with me. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And this morning you know that if there's ever a need, you're always welcome to come and see one of us. We'd be happy to sit down and visit with you and talk with you. McKay is here, Brad is here, I'm here. Um, there's a couple of the elders are gone today, but they'll be back next week. Maybe this is a time for you to say, you know what, I'm going to take Jason serious. This next week, I'm just, I'm not going to get on the media. I'm going to let my mind detox for one week and see what, how different it is. I think you're going to find out that you're much happier next Sunday, much more at peace, and much closer to God than you really imagine right now.